Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. In today's episode, I'm joined once again by Samuel Lovett to discuss England's qualification for the quarterfinals, another magical night for Japan, and the big problem facing the All Blacks. Morning, Sam. Morning, mate. Before we get underway, let's have a little catch-up. Uh, Tokyo is long in the rearview mirror for you, where um, we, we caught up for the first time on this tour. So, where are you now, and what have you been up to? So I'm in Osaka at the moment. Uh, I've been back and forth between here and Toyota, uh, covering mostly uh, sort of Paul A games. Been down to Kobe as well to watch uh, Ireland Russia, which was which was okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been good. Um, they're, they're pretty big on food here in Osaka. They've they've got a, one dish called a takiyaki. I, think I pronounced it right there, which is sort of like fish balls uh, dripped in mayonnaise and other sauces, and you get like a, a little set of eight. Um, they're bloody hot, but they're, they're pretty good. Um, and then you get, a, there was a, a savoury pancake, which I had the other night, which, which is made with like Japanese yam and then your choice of meat. Um, so there's, there's the saying that the, sort of the people from Tokyo spend all their money on clothes, uh, whereas people in Osaka spend it on food. Well, it's, so. It sounds like you're certainly living up to that reputation. <laughs> did, you, um, yeah. did you get out and about? Have you seen some sights yes. as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, had, um, I had one day off last week. I did up to Osaka Castle. Uh, which is pretty impressive. I learned afterwards that it's actually a replica, or it's um, basically it's, it was burnt down multiple times um, over like the last three hundred years because it's like made of wood. Um, so they've had to keep on rebuilding it, and the, and the current one's only about I think hundred hundred years old, something like that. Um, and then after that, I headed up to a, a national park uh, north of the city, which was quite nice to get away from the rush and everything. How about you? Uh, I've actually made it out and about a little bit since we we got back to Tokyo. So, went down to the the famous Shibuya crossing. Uh, did what all tourists oh, yeah, do yeah. and videoed myself crossing the road. Because when wouldn't you video yourself crossing the road uh, back home? Which it, it, yeah, it, it did feel a little strange, but it was nice to uh, join the rest of the tourists. Um, but then also the the tour highlight for me, uh, on top of the rugby, of course, was. Uh, going to Gonpachi Restaurant, which is where they filmed the famous scene in Kill Bill when Uma Thurman took on the uh, the crazy 88 and Oshi Ren. Um, that, that was really quite cool. I'm a massive Tarantino fan, so that that was quite special, having dinner in there and then just to yeah. top it all off uh, while we're having our meal. 
uh, World Rugby Chief Executive Brett Gosper sits down on the table next to us and <laughs> needless to say looked a little bit stunned to see yeah. <laughs> eight of eight of the English rugby journalists sitting exactly next to him in all the places in all the cities. He didn't so, say anything, did he? Or? We, we, we had a nice little chat, a nice little catch up, a uh, little hello. Uh, we, tried to get, we tried to get World Rugby to pick up the bill. Sadly, that, that didn't go to plan. But <laughs> anyway, let's get down to business. Um, you've, you've been covering a fair bit of Paul A recently, Sam, and it's really come alive yep. thanks to Japan's bonus point victory over Samoa. Um, third win in a row, uh, and it was a game that you were at. So we pinpointed that match before as a bit of a tricky one for the hosts, and it did get a little nervy halfway through when the scores came quite close. But the way they responded to secure, to secure the bonus point, that was very impressive. So you were there. Um, as you have been now for all of Japan's matches, so how, how, did, yes. it, how did it feel? It was good. It was good. It was a. Uh, it was another sort of lively and quite dramatic performance. Um, you know, on the back of the the Ireland game, you think you know they can be able to deliver another spectacle, and they did. Uh, there was forty thousand fans there, so the atmosphere from the start was absolutely electric. Um, in terms of the performance, I, you know, it, it was one defined again by that, that that really resilient, courageous spirit, which we've we've sort of come to, you know, love about the uh, the Japanese. But I think it was also a bit more of a mature performance. You know, the, the one against Ireland, it was a bit sort of never say die. They had momentum, and you could tell that they felt there was an upset on the cards. This it, kind of the game ebbed and flowed a little bit more. So even when Samoa did sort of come back with them through um, Henry Lefeo's try. You could you could see them sort of bedding that they held their nerve. They kind of they were patient about it, um, and then obviously hit back with that sort of late flurry of tries and that dramatic finish with, with the bonus point try. Um, I, I think the point to make also is the transitional play with the Japanese has been particularly impressive um, at this tournament. Um, with the I think yeah, it was the first try. Uh, Timothy Timothy Lefeya. Yeah, apologies, my pronunciation is terrible. Um, it, it all started uh, on the on the back foot. So they were under pressure. Michael Leach had the turnover, worked to uh, Lemeno Lemeki, put the afterburners on, and then made a good few metres. Forwards piled in, maintaining that forward momentum, and then there was a quick surface out to Lefebvre, who barged over. So, you know, it really was seamless, fluid stuff from the Japanese at, at their collective best. Um, and moving forward, obviously, they've got Scotland at the weekend, they they are within reaching distance of a a first quarter final berth, and you, you'd think something would have to go horribly wrong at the weekend for them not to come away from that match w- without a last eight uh, spot. Yeah. Um, still though, Jamie Joseph he's keeping grounded. You know, he said it's gotten silly that there's expectations that Japan can now beat whoever they face. You know, he's aware of of I suppose the limitations of. This Japanese side, you know, we we have, we have to remember that they are, you know, sort of still knocking on the door of of the elite group. But also, I think we have to acknowledge how far they've come um, and be grateful for the fact that they are, you know, so close now to joining that elite club. I suppose. Um, but as you said, you know, they're taking it one team at a time. Yeah, that bonus point at the end that they secured almost with the final play um, was crucial. I was a little bit surprised we we were watching from the media centre after the England match. <laughs> Um, the, there wasn't a penalty try. I mean, they had complete dominance in the scrum. Um, for some reason, when they were charging forwards, they were given a penalty and not a penalty try when they were almost over the line. I thought that was a little bit odd and thought it could come back to cost them. And then suddenly, if they don't get the bonus point, it opens the door for Scotland. But It was 
Did they? It was great. Though. You, you could see, you could hear all sort of the, the Irish and Scottish fans just melting uh, as um, Jack Lamb made the decision to scrum again. Um, and then obviously Japan got turnover, had the put in, and then the rest, you know, is history. Yeah, and that, uh, so it, now it that was a brilliant us, moment. It gives us a bit of a shootout, doesn't it, between Japan and Scotland? Just, Scotland basically needs to go out and back to back bonus points wins if they want to get through. Yep. And that will actually cost Japan, uh, which is a bit sad hopefully you know we're meant to be unbiased but i almost want japan to be in the quarterfinals because it happens again in 2015 they they won three of their four matches and went out on yeah. bonus points and what, what does that say about the kind of structure if it happens again but i've scribbled down a, a, a few numbers here that just show how much this this is all capturing the imagination uh of of, of the country and it's yeah. never before this is never been seen before in Japan, but the, the win over Samoa was the most watched sporting event of the year in Japan. It averaged 32.8% of the population and peaked at 46%. That's 60 million people were watching that game. That I mean, that, that that's incredible. And what what's the feel now? We, we said before that it got off to a bit of a slow start, but it, it's really catching on now, isn't it? Yeah. Now, on a side note, you'll have to send me those figures for a piece I'm writing. <laughs> That's pretty helpful. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, just around sort of the stadium beforehand, I, I was trying my best to sort of, you know, speak to some fans um, to say to them, you know, can you speak English? Um, if so, can I ask you a couple of questions? About 90% of the chances I tried, it, it didn't get, <laughs> get very far. But for those, for those fans who were able to speak a little bit, um, you could tell that they knew that. Japan are going places. Uh, what one fan, one fan said, you know, it feels like a new era for us. Um, get to a quarter final, and it, you know, it can open a new chapter for for the side. And you know, he's right. Um, in terms of the coverage, it's been dominating the front and back pages, uh, the Japanese media, and the reporters and journalists in the press box. I know they shouldn't be, but they've been sort of <laughs> celebrating <laughs> every try. They've been singing the national anthem. They've been, you know, really getting behind the team. So, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been great to watch. And, and it also, it's made for quite a nice, I suppose, a nice narrative arc. So, from day one of the, of the competition, it, there was this sense that Japan were, had this, you know, great pride and privilege about hosting a global tournament, um, particularly, you know, as a Tier 2 nation. Now they've gone from that to to where they stand now, and there's this great expectation um, for the team to to push on and to get to the quarterfinals and basically see where see where it goes. Uh, so yeah, it, I think it's sort of one of the one of the real nice feel good stories uh, from the tournament so far. Yeah, we st- we can't really call them tier one yet, can we? But they don't feel like tier two. Maybe tier one and a half. No. We'll, we'll create a new yeah. bracket there for them. So you were also uh, at Ireland's game against Russia on Thursday. Yeah. Um, a good win for Ireland, a much-needed win for Ireland. Is it fair to say they're back on track and who knows what happens, they could still top the pool and avoid the All Blacks if Scotland do them a favour? Yeah, so it was uh, it was an interesting match. Uh, Joey Smith said afterwards he was really happy uh, with the way his team had played, which I think sort of might ruffled a few feathers amongst fans and, and the Irish media. Um, it, it does seem that he's perhaps that common uh, and other suggestions, you know, that things are all fine and dandy. It's kind of, sort of trying to keep up appearances and make it seem as if everything is okay. But I don't think it, that is necessarily the case. I, I mean, I know they did nil Russia 
and it was on paper a comprehensive victory, but it, it never felt like an assured one. They never felt fully in control of the match. There were periods when sort of Russia bedded in and, and Ireland really struggled to, uh, to to break the Bears down. You've got to remember also Russia had uh, two men sent off, uh, sorry, two men sent to the bin on two separate point uh, periods. So f- for 20 minutes of the game, uh, Ireland were down to 14 men. But you couldn't tell that um, as the, the Irish sort of struggled, like I said, to break them down. Handling errors played a massive role. Uh, Ireland, as, as with Russia's case, were guilty of repeatedly dropping the ball. It was humid, admittedly. The conditions were quite tricky in that sense, but you know that their rivals have, have, have had the same conditions and some have fared as poorly, some haven't, so I'm, I'm not too sure you know, if that excuse stands up. Um, back row, it seems like it's been it's still an issue for the Irish. Peter O'Mahony once again looked underpowered and ill-disciplined against Russia. Uh, looking at the stats, Ireland conceded 23 turnovers in total to Russia's 14, which suggests that they're not being as competitive uh, as, as they were at, at the breakdown. At the scrum, neither side actually conceded at, at their put-in, but the Russians had, had 13 compared to uh, Ireland's four. And, and, you know, with so many chances, you'd expect a pack like the Irish just to steal possession in at least one instance. Um, so, yeah, like you said, good to get back on track with a win. Uh, they can obviously, you know, they're still primed to, to make it through to the quarterfinals, but there's been nothing about the performances so far to suggest that once they do get to the knockout stages, they're going to go very far. Uh, so we'll, we'll, you know, we're going to have to see how it all goes. Yeah, we know their track record in in the knockout stage is abysmal, and also funny that you mentioned the the media reaction to that. I, I saw that our friends over at the Irish Independent ran a front page headline of "Where has it all gone wrong?" And you'd like to think that, given how much they've watched Schmidt's side over the last six years, that they're going to have a very good idea of the expectations of what this team yeah. should be doing and of where they actually are. So. I think you've hit the nail on the head a bit there. The yes, a, a massive victory like that looks good, but there are big problems there for them. And yeah, we'll, there's we'll, cracks. We'll definitely see that. Maybe not in the next game, but in the quarterfinals, which they they look somehow assured of getting to, which is is quite impressive given the defeat to Japan. We thought that yeah. that could be Ireland done and dusted if, yeah. if 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 they slipped up again. So. At least they they look like they're guaranteed going through with a game to yeah. spare. But that game, they suddenly look like they could be playing the All Blacks, which I don't think we're going to see any repeat of uh, the, the victories they've had in recent years. But that's all for part one. Uh, join us after the break for part two, where we'll be looking at England's victory over Argentina, the red card row that has exploded at the World Cup, and why the All Blacks are not sitting as pretty as you might think. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers at the Rugby World Cup. Jack, I'm going to sort of take presenting duties off you, ask you a couple of questions uh, for the England match at the weekend. Go for it. So, uh, first of all, another big scoring victory for England uh, and they're through to the quarterfinals with a game to spare. Job done then? Yeah, it, it started off as a, a cracking game. It, all the emotion of the Argentina fans and also the English fans, I thought they were very loud and there were definitely more numbers of English fans than Argentinians in the crowd. So it created a brilliant atmosphere throughout the warm-up and the national anthems. And the Argentine national anthem is just one of the great things of rugby union. I remember it in 2015 at Wembley. was pretty incredible. And this, again, did not disappoint. And that filtered into the players. You could tell that they were fired up. Like Carl Sinclair was smiling and geeing up the crowd before kickoff, just as he was waiting yeah. to go with the music. So... It started off like a house on fire, really good game. Argentina went ahead through a penalty. England hit straight back with a try through Johnny May, who was, for me, by and large, the best player on the pitch. He was so good. He just everywhere. Yeah. He played, not only did he score, he also played a massive hand in Elliot Daly's try. But suddenly we, we get to the 19th minute and a huge talking point, Thomas Lavanini's red card. And interestingly the second red card to have happened against Owen Farrell. You know, he, we saw he got hit. Yeah, cool. We saw he got hit by John Quill in the USA game. He now gets hit high by Lavanini, who, of course, is joining Leicester Tigers after the World Cup. So we're going to see a lot more of him. Yeah. We, we already know he's got a checkered past when it comes to disciplinary. He could have easily seen yellow against Tonga with a shoulder charge on Sione Calamafoni, who's going to be his teammate at Leicester. You know, you, the script writes yeah, itself. That's it, an awkward one. Yeah, I'm sure they'll discuss that one later. But there's been a lot of uh, chat over that. We're going to touch on that in a minute. Um, but it just kind of sucked the life out of the game. Suddenly the fans were very quiet, where they hadn't been. They'd been roaring through the whole first quarter of the match. And yeah, then you kind of felt, right, how long can Argentina last? And they did. they did well. Um, they really showed a great resilience to not only keep England out for 15 minutes, but they almost looked defensively dominant. Uh, and you kind of felt, wow, surely we've still got a game here. This is looking quite good. England then go and score two tries in the last five minutes of the first half. That that was yeah. crucial. And especially the Ben Youngs try just before the break. That really sucked the life out of Argentina and meant they were, they were chasing shadows by, by that point. And then... I spoke a bit to Juan Figalo, the Saracens prop, uh, after the yeah. match, and he just said straight away, we were tired, we were knackered. You know, we'd been playing our yeah. hearts out for that 15 minutes with a man less, and it just caught up with them. 
And you could see that the second half, England just pulled away and they were so dominant yeah. and the numbers game really caught up with Argentina. From an English perspective, I know we can't, you know, it's never the fact that we did win, we're through to the quarterfinals, but from, well, more, say, Eddie Jones' perspective, wouldn't he have preferred a bit of a meteor challenge for for England? Uh, because it, it still does feel that, yes, we've had three wins, yes, we're through to the quarterfinals, but we, it's not like we've had an opportunity yet to kind of show what the team is really capable of. Um, and, and obviously, uh, Lavanini being sent off so early, it kind of, as you said, sucked the, uh, the energy out of the game a little bit. Massively. I, th- I think England are in real danger of going to the quarterfinals with 18 minutes of competitive rugby under their belts because, yeah. as we'll discuss the, the France game, I, I've got big concerns on that one. Uh the Tonga game, yes, it was a, a good hit out for England. They they weren't amazing, but they did what they needed to. USA game, it was a, a rotated team. A lot of the the first teamers, as we'll call them, weren't even playing. Uh, I, I think there was a little bit of frustration uh, in Eddie Jones after the match, and he was also annoyed about how England had reacted to the red card. He he felt they got sucked into a mentality of thinking, right, that's it, job done, we've won it. And as we saw, Argentina were able to kind of take the ascendancy in the game for a little bit. So there was a little bit of disappointment there. He was really happy with the second half performance and and rightly so. England did what they needed to. But I I just fear that they're going to go into that quarterfinal possibly against Australia, maybe against Wales. We're not too sure how that's going to play out yet. But they're going to need to really up their game for whoever they face in the last eight. So let's just take it back to the uh, red card then. Um, I just want to ask you a couple more questions about this topic because I know it's something you've been quite hot on uh, over the past couple of weeks. So, yeah, basically, right decision? Yeah, it has to be. And I thought Nigel Owens was really clear in his assessment of it. But the referees have this high tackle sanction framework which was brought in earlier this year by World Rugby. And it's very clear for officials to make this decision. Is there contact to the head? Is there dangerous play? And is are there any mitigating circumstances? And basically, if you get yes, yes, no, you're going off. It's going to be a red card. And he went through that. And there was a lot of chat afterwards that Farrell had dipped just before the tackle. But that while that's one thing that referees are told to look out for, another thing is, has the tackler had a clear line of vision towards the tackle? And... When you look at replays, you you can't argue that. Lavanini has lined Farrell up from a long way away. And then when you compare the height of where he is and where he should be, he's nowhere near in the right tackling position. He's bolt upright, his shoulder is leading, and it makes contact with the head of Farrell, and it is dangerous. And I I, I was not surprised anymore. I'm not not getting surprised because people are failing to, to take this in, and they just seem to almost be watching these games with blinkers on that they don't want to adjust their view of what rugby union should be, this manly game where people yeah. get hit in the head. But we've got to understand that that is not the case anymore. The game has changed. And I, I, I was speaking to a friend who compared it to the use of VAR in football. I mean, VARs are there to decide if a player's offside. We're using mm. we're using these reviews in rugby union to stop people getting brain injuries. You know, this is leading yep. to dementia further down the line and brain debilitating diseases. You know, this is not something we can laugh and joke about because th- this is a serious measure. And World Rugby obviously brought this in because they were really afraid of 
a lawsuit that the similar to what the NFL was facing, you know, a billion yeah. dollar lawsuit. So th- th- this is all being brought in for the right reasons. The, the red cards we've seen at this tournament, Quill, we've already mentioned, definite red. Uh, that that was a cheap shot on Farrell. The one interesting one that was in the Italy-South Africa game, so Andrea Lavotti obviously got red carded for that spear clean-out on, or spear tackle, it wasn't really a tackle, it was more of a strange double clean-out by him and Nicolo Quaglio and Dwayne Vermeulen. But I mean, there was grounds for that for a double red card, and in the, the, the citations we saw that Quaglio has been cited. Both have been given a free game ban, as seems to be the norm now at this tournament, I, I thought. They probably both deserved a lot more. That was really dangerous. It was one of the worst yeah. cleanouts we've seen since Brian O'Driscoll's infamous cleanout by Tanu Umago and Kevin Mialamu on the uh, 2005 yeah. Lions tour. So they're, they're both lucky to almost get away with one there. But yeah, I, I think we can't criticise the referees here for those red cards. I think they were all red card decisions. There's yeah. been a few that people have gotten away with and subsequently cited. I'm thinking that Samoa game back at the start of the, the tournament against Russia for starters. But on the whole, I think the referees are doing a really good job. And, you know, bearing in mind they were heavily criticised by World Rugby at the start of the tournament. You could say rightly so, but I was still surprised that World Rugby did that. They shouldn't have done that. They maybe should have just done that in-house. I, I think, you know, let, let, let's give them some credit here. There, there's some good decisions being made. Yeah. And there was another two in the New Zealand game, two questionable tackles. So Pascal Gorzair decides, right, mitigating circumstances, yes, yellow card. Game goes on. Yeah. But New Zealand come back to 15 men twice and, you know, I, he deserves praise for that. I think what we have to accept that this is this is a cultural change. It's, it's going to take a long time for sort of certain attitudes to fade. You know, those perceptions of, oh, rugby's going soft, this isn't, this isn't how the game should be played. Those sort of attitudes and, and quite antiquated views, they're going to take a while to sort of fade out as, as this new attitude, these new approach and appreciation sort of slowly flow in, into the game. So at the moment, it does seem we are a bit of a, a, a what's, what's the word, sort of a watershed moment for the game with these sort of contrasting views and opinions. But in 10, 15 years down, uh, 10, 15 years down the line, I feel we, we might look back on it on this World Cup and be like, yes, this was the moment that changed the game for the for the better, for, you know, for the, for the better well-being of the players. Um, but anyway, to to move on to, to the final topic, you you mentioned it uh, very briefly there. The All Blacks they came through um, another storming victory, beating Namibia seventy-one nine. Take us through that, Jack. It, it was actually a really enjoyable game. I know sometimes these matches are hard to get into, but Namibia were really really good. I really enjoyed watching them. Uh, the amazing thing was they took the lead. To, no, well, that, that's not the amazing thing. They, they they started off really well, got a penalty, took the lead inside three minutes. Um, but 34 minutes in, they were one point behind the reigning world champions. <laughs> yeah, 10 points to nine. The All Blacks were dominant, but they, they weren't playing well. And Namibia were getting a lot of the ball and doing stuff with it. Um, it was just really fun, and suddenly you start to panic of, oh no, the, the game that you know was going to be a walkover, the report writes itself, are we about to witness another shock of the World Cup? Yeah. You know, no doubt Namibia beating the All Blacks, however far-fetched it sounds, that's bigger than Japan beating South Africa and Ireland together. It, it would be huge. I was going to say, in terms of sporting upsets, Namibia beating the All Blacks at World Cup, is that, that's surely got to be, the, the top, as big as it gets. 
on the sporting platform. That would be enormous. Uh, I think for me, hands down, it would be the greatest of upsets. But then also, let's not get carried away. New Zealand then suddenly run in 10 tries or, well, sorry, nine tries after that point. But the second half performance that they produced was incredible. Some of the rugby they played was just out of this world and none better than the final try. A, a lovely move. The replacements, Rico Iani, Brad Webber combining. Webber flicks a little round the back pass to TJ Perinara. Do you think that's, that's brilliant in itself? But then Perinara's get, getting shoved out in the corner and leaps into the air, dots the ball down. In mid-air, he's almost like facing downwards as... Just a really good try. I spoke to him after and he was just, you know, that, that's pretty much one of the best I've scored. And yeah. he, he credited Weber with the pass. It just really is a great pass. I'm sure a lot of people have seen, either saw it live or the video highlights of it. And even Steve Hansen said afterwards, it nearly got me out of my chair and not a lot gets me out of my chair. So <laughs> I think that's, He's a big man, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. That, that's all you need to know. Um, yeah. But that, that brings us to something that I've, I've written for The Independent. I thought yeah, that, you mentioned this that, beforehand that you, you've been a bit. You think that things might not be quite right. Uh, that there could be the potential for an upset, perhaps. Um, so yeah, if you take us through that, possibly, a, a, maybe not an upset because I think we're when we get to the quarterfinals, we're in territory of any team can beat any team, which will be That's fan, true. fantastic. But I'm a little bit concerned, and it goes to a little bit of what we were just discussing about England. The, the All Blacks played South Africa in their first game. And by Hansen's own admission, they then play three games against teams that, with no disrespect, and I agree with that, he's not being disrespectful by saying they're expected to beat those teams. You know, how, how can you argue any other way? Of course they're going to beat Namibia, yeah. and of course they're going to beat Canada. You know, they're walkover wins, and we've, we've seen that. So you, you do start to worry, at what point are the All Blacks going to mentally switch on? Because they just don't need to at the moment. And suddenly you get to a quarter final, and if if they have thirty thirty five minutes to to wake up, they're going to be a long way behind on the scoreboard, you know. So I I talked this over with Perinara, and he he was quite honest and open on it, and talking a little bit about how they need to almost compete with themselves as opposed to trying to compete with these teams, and as long as they as long as they hit the nail on the head with that then they're going to be better than the last performance. And yeah. I, I see where he's coming on, that England have adopted that same approach under Eddie Jones. Seems to be, be a bit of a Southern Hemisphere mentality of getting away from focusing on the opponents, which may, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. I'm sure we're going to see in the quarterfinals, but it, 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 it is a concern. You know, the, the All Blacks aren't being challenged at the moment. And that, that win over South Africa was impressive. Oh, uh, you know, you can't, you can't take that away from them. Yeah, but it feels like a long time ago now. We're, we're three, four weeks into the tournament, and they they don't have a real, a proper game for another two weeks. So, going back to Paul Ajak on the back of the performances we've seen from Japan and Ireland, two teams who are, who at this stage look likely to, to make it through to the last eight. Do you think then that either of those two sides would have it in them to perhaps catch uh, the All Blacks out? Well. We know Ireland can. We've seen they can, and it's just about whether they can rediscover that that flame that they need, that that real dominance and aggression that proved the basis of the victory in Dublin last year. But interestingly, Japan's going to be 
a strange one because Hansen does not want to play Japan. It, he said as much yesterday. You know, on paper, it's a walkover win for New Zealand, and you you mm. you would very much put your money on that. But the All Blacks are really well supported out in Japan. They're, they're pretty much everyone's second team, and for a lot of people, yeah. they're their first team. And he knows that if they get to Tokyo and it's Japan versus New Zealand, those New Zealand fans become Japan fans. Yeah, and then suddenly you've got forty, fifty thousand people behind the Brave Blossoms, not behind the All Blacks. It becomes a real cauldron that New Zealand have never really faced in taking on a tier two side, and that's where little things happen that don't normally happen. That's where you get the upsets. And what know, a game that would be, though! Oh, it'd be brilliant. It'd be so good, and you almost want to see it because it is hard to see Japan getting to the semi-finals or the final. So you almost yeah. want that game to happen sooner rather than later, but. If it does, all bets are off, really. We've, this World Cup has shown us that already. Well, that's all for this episode of the Indie Rugby Podcast. Remember to subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen for all the latest from the World Cup. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>